0: This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit emmausdenver.com. Man, there is um, when I when I when you approach like a passage like this, where it's got you know anyone that's been in the church for any amount of time has probably um, heard it talked about in a number of different ways, and I think you know we could. It would be just kind of a fun sermon even to connect the dots between what God through Isaiah is saving, saying about the servant and where that is fulfilled in the Gospels. You know, like that, that by itself would just be like a fun sermon to talk about how God hundreds of years before the arrival of Christ like spelled out what his life would be like. And I think uh, we're planning on going through the book of Mark starting at the beginning of next year we're gonna do a couple beginning of the year sermons but then we're gonna start mark and i think as we work through the gospels we'll actually be able to kind of go back and connect to some of the things that are happening uh in isaiah another angle um you could approach this text from and, and people do and that's good is just this is like Uh, This is a very important passage for the Old Testament understanding of uh, substitutionary atonement. Like the idea that you and I can approach God, enjoy him, be loved by him because of something somebody else did, uh, namely Jesus. And and you may have even, you know, he was... um, as we, as we walk through it, he's born, he's carried away our sorrows or at the, at the end, he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So so there's a lot of like really important language around uh, how we are made right with God in this passage uh, that I think is very much expanded upon and and given us a lot of detail in the New Testament if we're to like read through Romans or Galatians uh, or even Ephesians. So those are a couple of ways to to sort of approach this passage, and those are those are good things. Um, but I was kind of just reading through it, and a lot of times I was just asking myself, like, like what stands out to me um, that I feel like would be good for us uh, in, in this season. And one one of the things uh, you may you may have heard uh, the proverb: familiarity brings contempt. Um, and I've heard it said a, a few different ways, uh, and I even asked uh, ChatGPT where it came from, and it credited Augustine. And then I source checked it and read like the whole thing, and it like made it all up. So, <laughs> so, so you know, I don't know. Um, I was like, that's literally not there. And I also, yeah. So it was a whole. But anyways, the idea behind the the idea behind the uh, the saying "familiarity brings contempt" is that like the, the more familiar we get with something even in something profound uh, we tend to think less of it you know uh, i bridget every time we drive and i'm just like the mountains you know she's like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like it's not fair you like grew up staring at those things it's like oh like we're in texas and she's like where am i <laughs> there's no there's no big wall of rock to like orient myself around um, but if she used to go to the ocean the ocean for her is like an amazing like scary crazy thing um, and i grew up with the ocean and it's cool but i don't get nearly as excited as she does about it so it's just this idea that that familiarity brings contempt and i think that well i mean i know i'll just speak from experience that growing up in christian circles or or walking through some of these these passages that we sort of here and has resonated with us in some sense sometimes those passages uh, the weightiness or the significance of those passages fades because we've just kind of heard them a bunch and so I, as I approached this and I thought about this I was very, I was really just trying to say like Lord what are what do you need what are you communicating in this passage that could just really impress us with your character like how could we walk away from what is being said in Isaiah 53 and say wow like what, what kind of God is it that we really worship and I, I think the theme uh, for this passage is going to be uh, it doesn't make sense and I, that's like my main it doesn't make sense and I hope that it doesn't make sense makes sense. <laughs> but l- uh, uh, let me give you an example. Uh, Romans 5. And that, that should be up on the screen. Romans 5, 6 through 8. Paul, here's Paul saying it doesn't make sense. Oh, that's Romans 6. Romans 5, 6 8. He says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And then he goes on to say, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. Like, like he, who's gonna die for anyone for that matter, right? Like, like, who wants to put their life up for another person? You know, I think as, as parents, you know, maybe there's like that, there's a gut instinct to protect your child that just comes, and that's a good and wonderful thing but it's like just to, but then to think okay who is the person that really just like rubs me the wrong way the most or who who is the person that I just can't get along with no matter what or who's the person that every time I talk to them I walk away frustrated we're not like that's who I want to die for and and Paul is saying that right here he's saying but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Yeah. And we should say, that doesn't make sense. We should say that that really doesn't make sense. Like, it, it, what, there's, God is not profiting from that deal. And, and as we walk through this passage in Isaiah, I think there is a lot of things that it may be easy to walk over. But I want to come back to that phrase, and I want to come back to that in the same way Paul is kind of bringing to the point that he dies for sinners and say, look at who God is here. It's so different than who we are. It's so different than who we are, and we can look at him and say, whoa. That really, that doesn't make sense. But then realize what he is and who he is and be just impressed with that, be encouraged by that, and and ask God to help us really believe that even though the way he is doesn't make sense, it's good and it's who he is. So it's like force us to wrestle with that just a little bit. And yeah, I'm gonna... Well, I was going to say something, but I won't. <laughs> Let's just look into the text real quick and see if we can find some of the, the things that just don't make sense. Isaiah fifty-two, starting in verse 13, he starts this section. He's, he's, he's moving into sort of one of the new, new servant songs. It's a, he says, behold, he's drawing our attention in verse 13. He says, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. So he begins this section by encouraging us with the amazing wisdom and glory of his servant. And, you know, we've spent a handful of weeks just talking about, like, all the good things about who Jesus is in the chapters of Isaiah. And you think about that, if we think about, uh, even, I love what Jesus says, like, someone wiser than Solomon is here. Like, uh, he is the one who will accomplish all of these things for Israel. He is the one who will restore our relationship, so we're we're back uh, in in good standing with the, our Creator. He's the one who will make all things new, and we have the the new creation's uh, uh, prophetic words that are talking to us about how there's restoration so he and he says and the way he even says it here my servant shall act wisely you know, a lot of you have a, a footnote says or says shall prosper like everything Jesus will do will be amazing and wonderful and he starts with that because intuitively we don't desire him Like we're not actually drawn to Jesus naturally. And I think we know the story, right? Like he shows up on the scene, he starts his public ministry, everyone accepts him, puts him up as king, and it goes wonderfully great. It it doesn't. And 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 that's, that's just demonstrating like how we respond to God showing up with true wisdom and glory and that's what he says. In the, He's like, I'm going to tell you all this wonderful thing about my servant. And in, verse, in chapter 53, in the middle of this little section here, verse 1, he goes, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And a lot of commentators are saying that the way this is presented is like, And who believed it? Like, nobody did. And it's kind of reinforced when it goes on. It says, he for he grew up before him like a young plant talking about the servant and like a root out of the out of dry ground it's a, almost like a little image of the root that would come from the stump earlier in isaiah so he's he's growing up before us he's he's before our very eyes and it said that he had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him He was like one who men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. So in a, in a real sense, it doesn't make sense that Jesus can show up on the scene with glory and majesty in, in, the, in the exact imprint of the nature of God. And at our root, we don't even recognize that. In fact, we don't even like it. It doesn't make sense that Jesus would have all the wisdom, all the glory, and we don't naturally desire him. It doesn't make sense. (laughs) But that's the, the reality. That's what the prophet is communicating to us. I think he's building on this a little bit. Verse four, he says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. What, like, what a wonderful, like, could you even say that about some of your closest friends? You know, who bears your griefs? And hopefully we have people in our lives that we can communicate these things to. But I think this is a really intimate, uh, weighty, wonderful thing that he's communicating about, about what the servant does, about who Jesus is. He says, surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. We don't... We don't hold him in high regard, even though he does these things for us. And he kind of builds on this. He's kind of, I think this last two verses is kind of like the the punchline. He says, But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Peace. And I, you know, I think rightly we can talk about. Uh, peace between God and man like there's enmity where we were enemies but because of God we're now restored and we're we're at peace there's like a relationship restoration there but the idea in the Old Testament and the New Testament behind this idea of shalom is like wholeness like restoration it's like you and I because of what Jesus went through have the opportunity to be restored into who we were meant to be In it's in its fullness. And and that restoration comes because we can now be in the presence of our heavenly father, because now we can actually enjoy and have the, the love and the safety and the comfort that comes from the one that we image. So as we, as we are approaching him, because of everything that Jesus has done, we are now being transformed so that we're imaging him the way he meant us to image him and we're being restored. There's, there's this idea that because Jesus has carried our transgressions, because he has been wounded for our sake, now we can have restoration in and through Christ. And yet... Verse 6 says, after all of these wonderful things, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone. Let me just reiterate that it's not just a a, a here and there problem. All, All we like sheep, everyone, we've all turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. it doesn't make sense that he brings restoration and we turn away it doesn't make sense that Jesus is working to make us who we ought to be as we enjoy our creator and image him well and regularly we're the ones who turn away think that an encouraging piece of this (laughs) an encouraging piece of this is even after the prophet says that like we all turn away the very next line is the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all another thing I think that we don't you know Well, I'll just be honest. Having a kid has made me think about this a lot more. (laughs) When you ask me, do I want to reward him for the things that he does well? I'm like, so on board with that. And then you ask me, do I want to discipline him for when he is rebelling or whatever? I'm less on board with that, but it makes sense to me. And I'm like, I want to discipline you now before it becomes more crazy. You know, (laughs) like... You're small, let's address the things that are here but but those are like those things make sense to me and are are rational. But when I think about the concept of grace, Grace flips that on its head. Grace like completely turns that upside down so that when so that when someone is doing something wrong, when someone is Uh, offending me when someone is rebelling against me instead of bringing justice or bringing a measure of discipline I bring gifts I bring kindness I don't just put up with it (laughs) like that's not grace like holding my tongue you know (laughs) Graciously not telling you what I want to tell you, child, or whatever. (laughs) That's not grace. Grace is you and I straying from God, running away while he's working to make peace and restore us, and us ignoring him, and then him dying for us, pursuing us giving us more of his presence when that's actually what we were not even pursuing in the first place. Grace is God seeing you veer from him and yet he looks at you and draws nearer to you to encourage you, to support you, to bless you. Grace doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It shouldn't make sense. But that's the kind of God that we worship. That is the character of the person that we draw near to in sing, and pray, <laughs> ask for encouragement... That's the kind of God who is united to your friends, to the community. That's the kind of God that's just at work building his kingdom. Is the God that when we rebel against him, he graciously draws closer to us so that we could see his character, so that we could be transformed, so that we could truly, genuinely live in a way that reflects his glory, because he's the one that has to graciously illogically, in a sense, draw near to us because we run away. I think that when I think about God's character and the fact that that doesn't make sense, two things come to mind. One, there is no, I mean, Jesus says, Knock and the door will be answered. <laughs> Seeking, you will find. Like there, there's nothing in the world that could keep you from approaching and enjoying who God is. It doesn't matter what you have done, what you haven't done, what you can do, what you can't do, what you're frustrated with, what you keep doing. Nothing you do nothing you do that offends God because we do, you do things that offend God hinder you from being near him and being encouraged by him nothing if your faith, if your trust if your belief is that the servant has done all these things on your behalf then you can approach him at any point in any place Because he loves to show you grace. And grace isn't, he's happy with you. Grace is, you were annoying and he loves you more. That's the kind of God that we worship. Now, the other thing that comes to mind, which I feel like is harder, is we're called to look like him. Like he wants to show us that kindness and that goodness and that grace. So that we then go get tit for tat or bring justice, etc. You know, like we, I mean, like that's what we think. We're called to show that kind of character to the rest of the world. We're called to approach and love people who really just annoy us. <laughs> now, hey, it's a good step to hold our tongues. There's a lot of proverbs about that, but that's not showing grace. You know, and I think this is where we—this is part of the reason why we draw near to God, because as we enjoy Him and as we really get like a taste of who He is, and we say, "Lord, the fact that You love me and I can come back to You again and again and again, and You still desire to be with me doesn't make any sense," and we see who He is, and we're just impressed with His character. That will change who you are. That will completely change who you are. and I think people around you will start to say hey that doesn't make sense and you're like I know it doesn't make sense but I worship a God who is like this that's, that's where I want you to find enjoyment that's where I want you to find peace there's just like an avenue to, to see his characters you and I draw near to who he is a lot of these things don't make sense (laughs) let's keep going in Isaiah this one is a hard one for me verses 7 through 9 but I think as we (laughs) maybe it's a hard one for me to think that I would be able to image to others but I think if we sit on it for a minute it should be an encouraging one as we reflect on God's character it doesn't make sense that God is willing to be misunderstood. It doesn't make sense that God is willing to be misunderstood. Like who can speak with more clarity than the creator of speak? (laughs) Who can prove himself better than the one who knows and has made all things? And yet... He's a God who is willing to be misunderstood. Verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. my favorite reflection of the story in the life of Jesus is when he's before Pilate and he's not like answering his questions and Pilate says don't you know that I have the authority for you to live or for you to die and I'm like thinking of the the humility that it took for the God of the universe to hold his tongue on that one And more than hold his tongue, he was graciously responding in a way that was kind when that's the last thing that that ruler deserved. There is Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who is holding everything together by the word of his power, being willing to be misunderstood by some petty ruler in the middle of nowhere. That doesn't make a lot of sense. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Verse 9 says, uh, They made his grave with the wicked. Like he was hung up on the cross with two genuinely convicted evildoers and with a rich man in his death. He was neither of those things. He spent his whole life in poverty, was born in poverty, Followed the law perfectly and was the only one who was 100% righteous and everything about his experience there is a complete misunderstanding of who he was now think about that that's Jesus' life but Jesus is showing us who God is how much do you and I misunderstand who God is like do you like when we approach him we have ideas of who he is and we think about him as our heavenly father or king like we approach him with some kind of somewhat informed idea of who he is how incomplete is that (laughs) on our best days Like how much do we really understand about a God who is so gracious and loving and kind that he would create all of these things. We would rebel against him and then he would send his only son to die on our behalf so that we could be restored and back into his presence. How many times do we think ill of what he's done? Like he must have done this because I did this or I must be in this situation because... God doesn't care how many times do we project things onto who he is that are completely foreign to his nature and the, the beauty is you worship a God who loves you and is willing to be misunderstood and isn't going to open his mouth to correct you when he could He is just going to welcome you in he like puts up with our inability to even understand how good and gracious he is. That's wonderful. Are you willing to be misunderstood so you could love those around you? I think the way you know, this is, I could say this for everything, and I probably do, um, but the way, the way that we can be changed in that is to really appreciate how much God continues to draw near to us, and to do good for us, and to work everything out according to the counsel of his will, for the good of those who love him. He continues to do all of those things for us, even though we, misunderstand him project on him think inappropriate of him or even on our best days when we're thinking about him rightly as limited creatures we don't understand him for who he truly is and he knows that (laughs) and he welcomes us into his presence and cares for us It doesn't make sense to me that God is willing to be misunderstood. But this is part of him bearing our sorrows, carrying our grief, regularly doing what we cannot do. Verse 10 It doesn't make sense that suffering from God leads to glory from God. It doesn't make sense that suffering that comes from God leads to more enjoyment and glory and majesty of God Himself. I'm going to say that again just because I said it in a different way. It doesn't make sense that God could bring suffering into your life so that you could enjoy him more. (laughs) Look at what he says about the servant. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. And maybe that's how some of you guys feel right now. It feels like it was the will of the Lord to crush you. And I think we're tempted to misunderstand him when he does that. Look at verse 11. And I think this is where it doesn't really make sense. He says, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. To me, that sounds like the last place I will see and be satisfied, out of the anguish of my soul. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. you know, God is showing us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Like, I think is like, it's, it's almost like what else could he say to us to communicate to us that he works good out of our suffering? And it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that the most perfect person who honored God obeyed the law loved his neighbor miraculously just healed people all over the place you know that's like the best health insurance right there Jesus walking around in your country you know he's done all these wonderful things and yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him that doesn't make sense shouldn't make sense it's the last thing we should want to happen and he says right here then 11 out of the anguish of his soul he should be satisfied by his knowledge shall the righteous one my servant make many to be accounted righteous he'll make many to be accounted righteous We get, before our very eyes, the worst act in all of history. The nailing of Jesus to the cross produces the most wonderful thing we could imagine. Restoration with God. And you might say, okay, great. I'm not going to do any of that. So maybe God can back up off with the suffering but this is just this is this is the this is god communicating his character to us and he's telling us that as we share in sufferings that he brings we also share in seeing and understanding and being our soul being satisfied in the glory that he has for us that's how he works that's who he is and he's it doesn't, it doesn't make sense, but he's he's communicated that to us in the cross. And he's communicated that to us in the scripture, and he's saying, "I'm using all these things to draw you deeper into who I am." First Peter says as much. First Peter chapter four. It's kind of a lot here, so I'm just going to read a couple of verses because I think it makes the point. Verse 13 says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering. It was God's will to bring a measure of suffering to the servant for good. And actually also to satisfy the longing of his soul, Christ himself. So when we share in this reality that our Heavenly Father intentionally brings a measure of difficulty into our life, it is wrong for us to then say, because he doesn't love me, because he doesn't care, because he isn't powerful. He's communicating his character and his goodness and his grace and his commitment to us over and over and over and over again. But we say, well, that doesn't make sense then that I have to deal with this. And he's like, oh. <laughs> it doesn't make sense, but I'm, he's promising us as we share in those sufferings, we can also re- rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And I don't, I actually, you know, there's a lot of ways to take that. Uh, God is regularly revealing his glory to us all the time. Now, I look forward to the day where the sky will be rolled back like a scroll and we'll like see things for what they truly are. Hebrews makes the point that the unseen realities are the weightier, more, more glorious ones than, than the sort of fading ones that we can see with our eyes right now. But I don't think Peter is saying Everything is going to be terrible until you die and are resurrected. (laughs) He's like, I'm communicating to you Christians as you share in suffering that God brings you. Just like Jesus shared in suffering that came from him. He is actually communicating more of his glory, more of his majesty, more of his character, more of the reality that he is present with you and working in and through you. Jesus communicated a lot of the things about his suffering before he died to the apostles. And he said, I'm sharing these things with you so that you would have my shalom as well. He wasn't like, I'm sharing these things with you because you know, it's terrible, but I promise it'll be good later. There's an aspect to that. Like, yes, new creation, eternity with God, all those things are wonderful and we can look forward to that. But God is continually revealing who he is and his character and his goodness and his kindness and his presence to you, even in or especially in when we share in suffering that he's brought. And it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. That's who he is. And he's shown us that in the gospel. Peter concludes and says in verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You can entrust your soul to a faithful creator. Knowing that as you share in a measure of suffering, you're actually going to see and enjoy and have an opportunity to see more and more of his glory. And there is a lot going on in Isaiah 53 as far as what Jesus would accomplish, who God is. Even just thinking about how the servant is the character of God that we get to like wrestle with and see. But my hope, my prayer, my desire for myself and for us is that familiarity with these things wouldn't bring contempt like we wouldn't you know by his stripes we are healed anyways what's next you know like whew. That, that we would see some of the things in scripture that God is communicating that his his ways are not like our ways we're not instinctually gracious when someone wrongs us we want it to be righted And there is a sense in which justice is a good attribute, but who God is deep down is so gracious, like he gives good to us when we only should deserve back wrath. It doesn't make sense that he continues to be the source of our wholeness, our restoration, our peace, and yet we regularly run after other things. But he comes after us. He keeps coming. He, he does, that's just who he is. This is the faithful creator who is, when we're not faithful, he is. And he's just pursuing us. And he's drawing us into his presence and letting us enjoy him. It doesn't make sense that he's willing to be misunderstood. But thank the Lord for that. Because we regularly attribute things to him. That are either not true at the worst or incomplete at best. And it doesn't bother him doesn't hinder him from loving and caring for us and and drawing us near to him. I mean, I think, yeah, maybe the hardest one is it doesn't make sense that suffering that comes from God leads to more glory and enjoyment of who he is. but I think if we believe these crazy things about who God is, (laughs) like, let's just, we gotta, like, be honest with ourselves. So we believe the crazy things that God is saying about who he is. At the end of the day, we'll know him for who he truly is and not who we imagine him to be. And we will begin to enjoy more and more and more of his good and wonderful presence. And instead of running, we'll actually get to experience more of that shalom that he's working to build in each and every one of us, in our church, in his kingdom. And it's hard to see that, I think, sometimes. Sometimes because we don't want to believe these things about God that just don't make sense. Let's pray and just ask for his help to see him rightly so we could enjoy him more. God, I'm thankful that you remind us and communicate us things about your character that might rub us the wrong way. Um, we need that. Because of sin, we have a view of who you are that is so incomplete. We have a view of how you work that is ignorant of the things that you've shown us. Lord, you are a God beyond our ability to understand, and yet, in and through your spirit, you're working faithfully, joyfully, Expectantly, you're working to draw us deeper and closer to knowing you for who you truly are. Lord, I pray that we could walk away from 2023, 2024, whatever year we'll be here in no time and say that we know you more deeply, we know you more truly and we enjoy the peace that comes from you peace that passes all understanding because it just doesn't make sense. In your name I pray. Amen.